Buddy, I feel, I feel like I haven't been with you in months. It's been a week. Um, I've, actually, this coming weekend, I get to speak at my third marriage seminar in three weeks. I've been speaking a lot on marriage um, and traveling a bit doing that. And I'm, I'm very, very, very stoked about this coming Friday. And then if you would be in prayer Saturday evening, uh, I've been asked to speak to 33 pastors up in Muskegon. Uh, about the issue of depression in ministry. And so if you'd be praying uh, for me on Saturday, Friday evening, then Saturday evening, and then Sunday morning, I'll be back here. We're going to be, I'm going to be preaching on, on our memory and mastering our memory and how our memory affects uh, emotional darkness and such. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm so excited about today, about this week. Uh, we've just, there's so much going on. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I do need to talk about something before we dive into the scripture today. Um, you can go onto the app and look at the notes, or you can go onto the YouVersion. The YouVersion app is for us, in terms of our sermon notes, is going to exist just for a little bit longer, but we're moving everything to our Church Center app. So if you're a person who follows along with the notes, uh, you keep track of if I'm staying on point, that's the way to do it. Um, but it needed to really deal with something as a pastor and kind of speak to a situation that I've had just a few inquiries on. And I find it very, you can call it ironic, I just, I feel like it's been led by the Lord. I planted this week speaking on anxiety, and it's uh, no surprise that I've gotten people that have contacted me about uh, some things that they're very anxious about. Uh, Earlier, a week ago Saturday, there is a militant group, Hamas, launched a massive and highly coordinated attack on Israel from Gaza. And this came after several months of conflict in Jerusalem and the West Bank, as well as tensions on the Temple Mount between Jews and Muslims. And in the words of somebody that I highly respect, Jimmy Evans, he says this, the Temple Mount is ground zero for the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and I agree with him 100%. If, uh, if you've ever been to Jerusalem and you understand the, the experience of being around the Temple Mount, uh, being down at the Wailing Wall, and the tension that exists there, uh, from numbers of facets. And Hamas has claimed a desecration of the Jews of the Temple Mount, which used to be home to the Jewish Temple, which now the Al-Asqa Mosque resides. And Hamas are calling their attack on Israel Operation Al-Aqast Storm. The militants have killed at least 1,000 people. In fact, I believe the number as of yesterday was up to 1,300 people in Israel, including Jewish women, children, and other civilians. The U.S. Department has announced at least 25 U.S. citizens were killed, and several more hostages are taken, and there have been over 3,000 Israelis that have been wounded in this attack. The Hamas has also kidnapped uh, civilians, hostages, including children, and have threatened to kill them if Israel retaliates. And the stated aim of Hamas has always been really one specific thing. It is the destruction of Israel. The language in its charter refers to the obliteration of Israel by the forces of Islam. Israel, this past week, has described the attack a week ago Saturday as their country's equivalent to 9-11. Why do they say that? Because when you look at it, you look at around 1,300 Israelis have been killed by an attack. And with a country that small, in comparison to us, it would be like as if 40,000 Americans were killed. 
this was a big attack. And so I've had people ask me numbers of questions about biblical prophecy. Questions come up about Iran, Russia, Turkey. Uh, because when we look at Ezekiel chapter 38 and we see that Israel, there's a prophecy given that Israel will be attacked by three countries from the north. There's a lot of conversations that we could have about the end times, about the coming of Christ, and about how this all plays into the issue today. And then on top of that, we see in the United States, Europe, and elsewhere around the world, pro-Palestine and pro-Israel uh, protesters been clashing left and right. And, we've, and in, fact, in fact, this past week, I saw a video of just a ginormous um, protest taking place in Detroit in our own state. And I'm here to say that conflict itself is just the beginning. And it's going to continue probably for the next weeks to months. And I'm just telling you, it's going to get worse. And while scripturally we stand with Israel and we know that Israel has the moral right to defend itself, we also know there's going to be devastating casualties on both sides. And so I want to make a statement this morning that simply says this, that every human life, both Israeli and Palestinian, they all matter to God. And I hope that our prayers reflect that. And so I've had people say, well, how do we pray, Pastor? And so what I'm going to do is you can get them on the app or the YouVersion Bible app. I've given you a list of prayer points that you can pray through for the coming weeks. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's scriptural. Psalms 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Pray for the end of bloodshed and violence, especially among civilians. Pray for families who are grieving, those shattered by the violence. Pray for those who are suffering. Pray for the hostages who have been abducted and who are now living in fear. Pray for the leaders of Israel and how they consider to respond. Pray for first responders who are still working to rescue the injured. Pray for Christians living in both Palestinian territories and Israel, that they would be a source of hope pointing people toward Jesus. Pray for global, global uh, leaders for wisdom. Pray that the violence would not spread beyond the borders of Israel. Pray, pray against the rise of, of anti-Semitism around the world and in our own communities. Pray that the current events will draw up more people to faith in God. Pray for Christ's soon return. In the church world, we've got numbers of words that we utilize. For example, the, we use the word ecclesiology, which means the theology of the church. The ecclesia is a word that means church, so we get ecclesiology. And we get another word, there's a word called eschatology. And the word eschatology refers to the, the, the conception of last things. Immortality, rebirth, resurrection, the end time. So when we talk about the apocalypse, uh, uh, when we talk about um, the rapture, we talk about antichrist, things that are end times, that is all eschatology. And I want to be very cautious as a community when it comes to our eschatology and our belief of the things that are to come. If our eschatology promotes fear, then our trust is in the wrong thing. Our trust cannot be in the times or in current events, but in the one for whom the times rest in his hands. And our eschatology should propel us to live a life faithfully for Jesus and to engage this world missionally for him. And if our eschatology fuels fear and has a stockpiling food and weapons instead of living missional lives, we need to reevaluate re what we think of Jesus and what the scripture truly says. Be cautious of eschatology teaching and preaching that has nothing to do more than to strike fear in the heart of the church. Scripture says that we are not given a spirit of fear, 
but one of love, power, and a sound mind. And so when it comes to us as believers, we will not be proponents of fears. We will be professors of faith. And I know things look scary. I know things look tumultuous. But I also know the one for whom everything rests in his hands. And I admit that I struggle. I struggle with end times motivated messages that have no relevance to everyday life. I do. But I want us to never forget that Jesus is coming again. But knowing that Jesus is coming again, we don't live our lives staring at the sky, wishing he will be here. Jesus said these words, occupy until I come. We live missionally. We live with love. We live with conviction. And while we live, we engage. We pray. We profess the name of the Lord. And we seek to save that which is lost. So my ongoing prayer will always be with the word out of Revelation that says, He who testifies of these things, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, come again. So could we do this before we dive into our message today? Could we pray for the peace of Jerusalem today? And I, it's a really a rhetorical question. I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> but would you pray with me? And if you need to know how to pray... And again, I know there's lots of questions in terms of end times discussions and end times conversations. And there's a lot of discussions and a lot of Bible uh, studies to be had. But right now, we're going to turn our, our attention toward faith. And we're going to trust in Jesus. Would you pray with me? This morning, Lord, we pray to the one for whom holds everything in his hands. The one that created the heavens and the earth when everything was formless and when everything was in chaos, you spoke, let there be life and let there be light. And so, Lord, we speak the authority and the power of the name of Jesus over that region of the world that just seems to be in chaos. And what we do is we, first of all, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray for the peace of your people, God, that you would guard, that you would protect, that you would guide, that you would give wisdom, God. Lord, we pray for families this morning that are going to go into another day wondering what's going to happen, living in fear of what might explode or what, what might take place. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just appear in that moment, God, and be the peace that passes understanding. Reveal yourself in a mighty way oh God. For those, Lord, that are going through injuries and those that have been hurt, those that have been maimed, those that have just been broken, I pray, Holy Spirit, show yourself in mercy, grace, and healing power in Jesus' name. God, give leadership wisdom. Give leaders direction. Lord, where the enemy would love to bring a confusion and distraction around other things around this world, God. I pray, Lord, that you would put confusion to death and allow wisdom to reign supreme. Your word says if anyone asks for wisdom, that you would give us abundantly, according to James chapter 1. So, Lord, I pray upon Israeli leaders, wisdom. I pray upon global leaders, wisdom, God. I pray, Lord, that you would put to death, Lord, the spirit of death that wants to reign supreme, that wants to breed hate, confusion confusion, um, uh, misinformation, God. And Lord, I pray that we would just see God rise and the enemy scattered in Jesus' name. So Lord, we just speak the name of the Messiah over Israel, over Palestine, over the entire region. We speak the name of the Prince of Peace. We speak the name of Jesus and believe in God that you can do more than we've ever asked, expected, or imagined according to your power at work. We speak that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for 
uh, having, let me have a pastoral moment there. Uh, again, Proverb, Proverbs, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to continue our series uh, that we've called Speaking from the Shadows. Um, I released the book just about a month, five weeks ago, to talk about the journey through depression, navigating through depression. And this has been something that's been deep in my heart to kind of preach about, to talk about, especially when it comes to things that not just happen in the dark moments, but things that can lead us into dark moments. And so today we're going to dive into anxiety and talk about reframing your anxiety. Does anybody have things in their life just that immediately bring anxiety? Can I tell you what doesn't bring me anxiety anymore for some weird reason, and I believe it's a sign of the end times, is the fact that I don't have any anxiety about the Lions game today. I mean, people have said this. I mean, something was said to me last night, but over and over, Pastor, what if Jesus comes back right before the Lions go into the Super Bowl? I'm like, he's not that cruel. <laughs> he's not that cruel. Come on. Jesus, don't. You're not that cruel, right? <laughs> Could have made some slack. But I don't know if you've ever gotten a notice or a letter or a text or whatever that has caused you anxiety. This was the spring, early summer of 2010. I had been here a year, and we had not yet moved into our house. We were renting at the time, and so I went to the mailbox, and I reach in, and there's just a letter in the mailbox, and the address wasn't what worried me because it's addressed to David Berenger. Have you ever looked at a return address and immediately gone into anxiety? There were three words above the, the P.O. box, three words that may give you anxiety when I say it because I will tell you, it sent me to a place where my body went numb and my head started buzzing. And these are the three words. Internal revenue service. Some of y'all are like, what did you do? Um, wait, thank you for loving me. Um, when we first came, there was a mistake made in our pay that actually didn't put enough taxes out of our pay. And so, like, when I did the taxes, I had to write a, a very tearful stained check to the IRS. And I'm like, man, here, okay, here's your money. I hope you choke on it. I, didn't, I, I thought that. I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm 100% sure I didn't say it, but 80% sure I didn't think it. And all of a sudden, like, couple, like a month or two later, this letter shows up in my brain. Did I not send enough? Like, what did I do? And I remember just like, I'm like shaking it. And like, I, I, my wife's waiting in the car to, for me to get in and just say, oh, it was in the mail. So I mean, I'm opening it up. And all it was was, hey, so you don't have to pay next year. Here's a, a way to pay. And so we made all the corrections here at the church and we got it all straightened out. But, but I remember not throwing that away, not knowing, do I need to keep this for a while? Like, Will they get me if I throw their stuff away? I kept it for months not knowing. Because I'm telling you what, I can't think of any other time where a return address sent me into such anxiety. Some of you are like judging me. Well, just, you, you wait and you get one of those envelopes. Some of y'all, you're like, you've doubted that there's a Lord. You will begin to trust in a God that you never believed in. Some of you, you'll start speaking in tongues in that moment. You'll start prophesying over, I mean, you'll go in all sorts of modes in that moment. But I remember how much it shook me. But how many of us have had those moments where, where we, all of a sudden we feel our phone buzz and we look and the caller ID is a name that 
you just did not want to hear from in the moment, and all of a sudden your heart starts racing, or you check your email, and you see that email from your boss, and all of a sudden the heart starts racing. Isn't it amazing how, like, life can be going just fine, and one moment, one call, one letter, one thing takes place, one word spoken, and immediately anxiety takes the rulership of everything. I remember uh, just, a, wow, it's about 10 or 12 years ago, I remember walking through Meyer with my wife, and I walked by the end cap, this clearance spot, and, I, and there was a My Little Pony mug. And I'm like, I need that mug. No, no, don't judge me. Before, like, let me tell the story. So, and the reason why I bought the My Little Pony mug is because I had bought, when I was seven years old, I had $6, and my sister wanted a My Little Pony, and my parents, no, we don't have the money for that. And I took my $6, and I bought her a My Little Pony. I know, I'm a good brother. Most of the time. And so I bought her that years ago, and this was a time in our life where I hadn't talked with my sister in months and months and months and months. Something had fractured our relationship, and to this day, I, don't, I still don't even what, know what it is, but I, I just, it's like the Lord just stopped me and admired and said, buy her the mug, and then write her a letter. And I, I just felt like this is a God moment, and so I wrote a letter, put it in the mug, wrapped it up, and I mailed it to her, and I didn't hear anything for about three to four months. And all of a sudden, I, I get a text. And she says, I, I read your letter, like, months later. I'm like, you, I'm like, you just now read the letter? And she says, I opened it up, and I saw the mug, and I saw the letter, and I put it up on my windowsill near my, in my kitchen. She says, I, was, I had so much anxiety about what you were going to say to me and go off on me and just tear me up. She was, I, I'm like, in a My Little Pony mug? Now that's vicious. You gotta be, you gotta be vicious to do something like that. And, but for four months, she goes, I just didn't realize what was in the letter and all that was in the letter is I'm your brother and you're my sister and that's what matters most right now and I don't know what I've done but I ask for your forgiveness and we have to, we have to be brother and sister. And so we had this healing moment. She's on the phone. She goes, I don't, she goes, I don't know what to say. I said, Rachel, if I've done anything, forgive me. And she says, I've been mad at you for so long. I don't even know what I'm mad at you about. I'm like, no, I'm mad right now. <laughs> I'm upset. But four months, three months, she is in anxiety about not even reading a letter. Is that not what it does to us? Anxiety gripping our heart, getting our lives off of track, getting us to the place where we can't move. What is anxiety? I just simply wrote it this way. Anxiety means to be overwhelmed about what has yet to happen. To be overwhelmed by what has yet to happen. The idea that life is just pressing down and we don't know what to do. And we've all experienced that, I think. Like in the workplace, some of you, you've got your, your, your boss walks down the hall, and you know the sound of their footsteps. Does anybody have that type of boss? Don't raise your hand if your boss attends our church, by the way. <laughs> um, I, my, my, my first pastor, I lived in such fear that, like, he had to shut his door hard because of the way there's some warpness, and he had to shut it, so when he opened it up, it was a snapping of the door. And immediately I grabbed my phone, and I grabbed a pen, and nobody was on the phone, but I, would have to, I felt like I had to act more busy than what I already was, but that's what anxiety does. And some of us have anxiety because of things at school. You've got tests, you've got projects. There's numbers of you that have gone back to school after years and the idea of, of getting this paper done or, or getting this test taken care of. And yet even within our homes, we have all sorts of anxieties that take place uh, because of maybe something that we're dealing with. Maybe there's this 
subject that we haven't talked about in our marriage or something is happening with our kids or there's a family situation that's going on and, and the home feels tense or there's a friendship fracture that's taken place and there's all these things that presses in and presses down upon us. And I don't know about you, but there's numbers of words that I've heard from people when it comes to anxiety, like I've heard of things like full. I'm overwhelmed. I'm surviving. I'm busy. And what I've learned through the years is anxiety has done nothing more. Anxiety has never led to a good place. And for me, it has led to some very, very dark moments of my life. I, I don't know any darker times just for myself as a pastor than for 2020. You remember when we were just going to close everything up for about two weeks just so that we can flatten the curve? <laughs> remember those days of wondering when and where and how and we need to be wearing masks. We shouldn't wear masks and be separated. Don't, I don't want to be close to people. I want to be close to people. And the amount of messages I remember throughout 2020, I mean, Anne will tell you that I would wake up and I have to go change my t-shirt because I had sweat through my t-shirt in the middle of the night because I am having so much anxiety. I'm going to sleep and I can't, my, my temperature is off and I'm sweating, I'm, I'm freezing. And anxiety just plays such a role in shaking our lives up. And we get this amazing letter in the Bible. The Bible is 66 books. It's one book, but it's really full of 66 books. It's like a library. And in that book, there's a few letters. We call them epistles. And one of those letters is Paul's letters to the Philippians, this church in Philippi. And Paul is writing this church from, where's he writing it from? Prison. Whoever said that gets the Pop-Tart. We, we know he's writing this. So he's writing this from a place of prison. Have you ever been in prison? How many of you? you have, don't raise your hands. You're going to make people around you nervous. Um, I have. I was doing ministry, but I was in prison. In fact, the last time I, first time I did ministry in prison, I went in as a mime. Don't judge me. White, you know, like, like the white painted face the white gloves and doing like, you know, this thing. Yes, I did all of that. And I remember this gentleman walked up to me and he's just crying and just God was touching his life and he wanted me, he wanted to talk to me about Jesus. And so I, I, mimes got to take our gloves off because that's how we can talk now. And I, I talk with this guy and I'm like, I'm like, what you in for? I don't know why I said that in a moment. He says, I got three life sentences. I've killed three people. I'm like, oh. And the guy stood like six foot 20. The guy was the tallest individual ever. I feel like they pick me up and go, wee. Um, and he's just in tears. He is broken. And he says, I can't do this anymore without Jesus. And so I got, as a, as a mime, I got to lead a guy with three life sentences to Jesus in a prison. And then when I left, I, I quit the mime team. We shouldn't do this any longer, guys. Let's do stuff where we could talk. But prison, what a place of pressure. And Paul writes from a place of pressure. He doesn't know when he's going to get released. He doesn't know if he's going to get thrown into the Colosseum with lions. He doesn't know if he's going to go and get beheaded. He doesn't know what's going, to be, what's going to happen. And from this place of pressure, he writes these words, do not be anxious about anything. In fact, we put it up here. Would you say the yellow words with me? The yellow words, say it with me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
And now what I love is, he, like, he uses these very extreme words, like anything. And now notice it says, be anxious about anything. If you notice in, uh, on this here, and also in your Bibles, on the apps, there is no asterisk next to anything. Because Paul's not saying, be anxious about, don't be anxious about anything unless you get a letter from the IRS. Or unless your boss calls you on a Sunday. Or unless your spouse says, we have to talk. Paul says, be don't be anxious about anything. There's no asterisks. And then he uses another extreme word, and he says, but in everything, well, not well, not everything, in everything, through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, offer your prayers unto God. And now it's like, Paul, you can't mean everything. Not every situation can you find or place gratitude in. But this is what Paul is getting at. Paul, you can't mean it. And he's like, that's exactly what happens. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, show gratitude, let your request be known to God. And then he shifts it and says, because when you do those things, the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. So why does Paul say, don't be anxious about anything? And in everything, show gratitude. Why does he say that? It's because of this. 100% of the time, anxiety harms, and 100% of the time, gratitude heals. 100% of the time, anxiety will pull you from peace, and 100% of the time, gratitude will lead you to peace. And what I have discovered, I have sat and I've watched the TED Talks. I, have, I am a professional YouTuber, I promise you. I have, I've listened to um, therapists, clinicians. I've talked with my own counselor. I've talked with other counselors. I met with another one this week, and we were talked a little bit about anxiety. And I'm here to say this, that it is impossible, physically impossible for you in your brains to process anxiety and gratitude at the same time. And again, I'm just a Bible college graduate and a professional YouTuber. I am not a neuroscientist, but I have talked to those who are. I've had conversations, and, and they always bring up the different parts of the brain. So let me give you a little, little bit of a brain science uh, lesson here. And so if you are a physician, you probably correct me, but please do it after service. That would be wonderful. First of all, we've got the prefrontal cortex. This is the front of the brain right here. We'll call it the PFC, private first class. Prefrontal cortex. This is the part that regulates your thoughts, your actions, and your emotions. This is, this is like the start button, button in your car. I'm, 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 I'm driving my parents' car. I'm trying to sell their vehicle for them. And so they have the type of vehicle where I just have to have something in my pocket. I walk in and I press a button. I may never give their car. and may have a struggle selling their car. I'm really enjoying driving it right now. But I walk in and I press the button and it starts everything. This is the prefrontal cortex. It sends messages to every part telling them how to work. And not only that, it's the predictor of how things will take place. Which means that if you come to church at K-First, and this is your first experience, when you leave here, your PFC, prefrontal cortex, will have an idea about what to expect next week when you come back. So if you're here for the first time, y'all should come back. But... That's there. And what happens in the way anxiety begins is when the prefrontal cortex does not have enough information to predict what's going on and there is an unknown. And therefore, 
it begins to send other messages. For example, 2020, you look at the, the, the mental health stats of 2020. Why was there so much anxiety? Is because none of us knew what to expect. And we were struggling with anxiety. So it began here. That's, that's the start button. Then in, underneath the brain, we've got what's called the, the limbic system. This is what I call the check engine light of the car. It has three functions, emotional, emotions, memories, and stimulations. And it flashes with intensified emotions, triggered memories, and increased stimulation. So when all of a sudden something stimulates you, it begins, it's, it's the lights that begins to trigger the emotions that pop up. And then in the back, we've got something called the amygdala. And now this is the part of the brain that is going to jump into fight or flight responses. So we're going to stick with the car metaphor. This is where the brakes hit or the accelerator hits. So the amygdala is, is triggered by stressful, anxious situations that come up in the prefrontal cortex. And the, the, the cortex tells you if it's dangerous, if your anxiety is real. And what happens is that triggers everything underneath and everything behind, which causes us to make a decision of what we want to do with anxiety. I think it's amazing how God designed our bodies. And so when it comes to anxiety, I'm here to say that our brains start functioning in ways that they actually were not designed to function because we were never designed as people, as image bearers of God, to live in anxiety. Because I want to show you what happens physiologically when we experience anxiety. Look at this. When your brain's going through anxiety, you increase cortisol, which is a stress hormone. You ignite it, and it starts flowing. From there, you, it increases irrational thinking. And from the irrational thinking, you start going through an increase of self-defeating storytelling. In other words, the anxiety triggers that hormone. The hormone, all of a sudden you start having irrational thinking. And you start telling yourself stories about what could happen, what might happen, what will probably happen. And you see how all of a sudden that begins to spiral, that begins to grow. And you find yourself on this, chaos of, uh, this chaotic carousel within your brain. That's what happens with Anxiety. Our brains were never meant to function that way. But, but, if we listen to what Scripture tells us and we walk in gratitude, it changes the course. I want to show you what gratitude does to our brain. When your brain is mixed with gratitude, first of all, you increase dopamine. So instead of the stress hormone, you have a pleasure transmitter. Secondly, you increase clear and rational thinking. Some of y'all, you want to be more rational, you got to be more, you got to show more gratitude. Number three, it increases the perspective. It allows you to see the bigger picture. I love how God knows not just how he made us, but he knows how to direct us. And all of a sudden, you know, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, we get the scripture where Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, show thanksgiving. Why? Because Paul knew exactly what our neuroscientists would later discover, is that when we operate in a state of anxiety, we get to the place where we are irrational. We begin to self-defeat ourselves, beating ourselves up from the inside out. But when we choose to reframe what we're seeing and choosing to show gratitude toward God, we begin to change not just, we're not changing what's happening here, we're changing what's happening in here. 
And we begin to have not just rational thinking, but we begin to have a greater perspective. Why is it as a, as a believer, why is it that some believers can walk into situations and not be shaken the way somebody has that doesn't have Jesus? It's because they're walking in with a mindset that simply says, I'm going to walk in faith, I'm going to trust in God, and I'm going to thank Him for not just for what He has done, but for what I know He can do through my life and end this situation. This is what happens when we can when we face anxiety. We can actually reframe it by stepping out in gratitude. And so Paul uses anything and everything because your brain was not designed to constantly cycle anxiety. Is anybody else besides me, you deal with some anxiety from time to time? Or for some of us, all the time? It's not that we all do, that we never deal with it. But Paul says, listen, you're going to face it but when you face it, you have to recognize you're not there to entertain it. You can do something about it. But there's so many of us that this, we feel like we have to stay in this state. And Paul says there's another way. Then he says this, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, offer that to God. Because when we, when we experience thanksgiving, we present our prayer to God in a posture of gratitude, and it begins to change our experience with anxiety. Because it doesn't mean we stop feeling the anxiety. It means we actually do something to counteract it. Now, I, I want to be very clear this morning. Gratitude does not remove the challenges. I've had people say, Pastor, I know you deal with depression. Just thank Jesus, and you'll never face depression again. Well, thank you for that. But there's the truth that simply says that gratitude does change things. It doesn't change the situation. Some of you that have toddlers, how do you know that if your toddler is doing something and you say, Lord, I just thank you for salvation today, all of a sudden the toddler is still going to be the toddler. It's not like bippity-boppity-boo, sprinkle some little dust, and all of a sudden the toddler begins to act right. Or you get into a car accident, Lord, I thank you for saving my life. Wait, the car is still broke. Some of us think it does, it removes the challenges. Gratitude doesn't remove your challenges, it reframes them. It'll settle your brain down. It puts them into a new perspective. It gives us the bigger picture. It doesn't change your situation at work, but it will change you in the middle of the situation. It doesn't change the, the finances that you have to face. It does change your heart regarding your finances. See, gratitude is not there to fix what's out here. Gratitude fixes what's happening in here so that darkness does not have the last say in our lives. Because when our brain settles down because of gratitude, it says in verse 7, and the peace of God, when you thank God, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. Which surpasses under, the peace that passes understanding. Some of your translations will say that. And the peace that passes understanding. I grew up with that terminology. Know what that doesn't mean? When you have the peace that passes understanding, that does not mean you're going to understand everything. Some of y'all think, you will have peace when you understand it all. I'm here to say, that's not what peace is. That's called nosiness. And some of you refuse to give up your anxiety because you have to be in on the know. I'm here to say, the peace that passes understanding is not needing to understand any longer. We call that trust. We call that surrender to God. We call that knowing that we're never going to figure everything out on this earth. We have to trust in God. You see, it's, peaceful circumstances do not create gratitude. Gratitude creates peaceful perspective. 
If I just get peaceful stuff, Pastor, if my spouse will just treat me better, then I will finally be thankful for them. How many of you in the room are thankful for your spouse? You better raise your hand. Goodness gracious. Some of y'all are waiting for them to act right before you are grateful for them. You know what will change your perspective? Be grateful for them. You could have married worse. Sometimes I wonder if my wife doesn't think that. But listen, peaceful perspective comes from a grateful heart. Well, if I don't feel it, I don't feel gratitude. You have to shift your perspective. But God, I need a step-by-step understanding of what's happening and why it's happening. That's why people would love for me to break down everything in the Middle East. I would love to try to do that for you. But in reality, I'm not going to be able to explain everything. I'm not going to be able to tell you what's going to happen in the order of how end-time events happen. But one thing I can tell you is we have a God that we can lean into. And spiritual maturity is resting in the peace of God without needing to know everything that's happening around you. That's maturity. Because countless things happen that I do not understand. I don't understand things that happen in the world. I don't understand why, why, why some pass and some stay alive. I don't get why all the sicknesses take place. I don't get why things happen in the orders of, of which they happen in life. I don't get, listen, I don't get why you deal with depression and why I deal with depression. I don't get why personal darkness comes to some and why it doesn't come to others. I just had a conversation yesterday with somebody at a marriage retreat. And he's like, listen, my 17-year-old deals with depression. He goes, I just, in my brain, I'm just trying to fix her. I'm trying to fix her. He goes, what do I do? And we have this conversation because we think we always want to be in control and know what's right. But spiritual, spiritual maturity comes, the peace of God comes knowing that we have to trust in Him. But in America, where entitlement ends, I think that's actually where gratitude can begin. Some of us feel that God entitles us so much. You know what? I've said this for years. God, he has given us salvation, and if that's all he's ever done for us, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I understand that all this is easier said than done, and it's, always, and it's difficult to show gratitude in difficult circumstances. I hope you hear me clear that it is difficult to show gratitude when things aren't going well. Because I tell you, there's times that I've been in my deepest, darkest spots. August of 2019, when I was dealing with suicidal images in my brain, I will admit, it was not a time where I was just hanging. Lord, thank you for these images. God bless you. Thank you. I, I never once did that. But at the same time, in the midst of the moment where you're wanting to be anxious about everything, that's the moment where you've got a purpose deep down in your heart that you begin to thank God and show gratitude and begin to counteract everything the enemy would love to crush you with by letting it lift off because of gratitude. I wrote it this way. Retaliate against your anxiety by filling your heart with gratitude and making it inhospitable to fear. You want to make your heart inhospitable to fear? Show Gratitude. It's why in our family, you talk to anybody in our family and you say, what does this mean? They'll say that means what's your three things? You have to name three things in this moment to show gratitude. This is something that has helped us through so many dark moments where we've had to look at each other and say, here's the three things that I'm thankful for. And sometimes it is hard to articulate, but we don't let it up. We make them sit there. We make them take as long as they need to. Why? Because we cannot become victims of what anxiety says we are. We have to remember who we are in Jesus, what we've been saved from, what we've been redeemed from, who he is, what he can do, what he has done, and what he can potentially do into the future. And that happens when we sit in a place of gratitude. 
And so for us, we've got to be people who will bear down and be thankful. So let me ask you this morning, what are your three? Pastor Olivia, would you come up and help me out? What are your three? Could you right now, let's put this into practice. Could you lean over to the person next to you and give them one thing you're thankful for right now? Seriously, right now, lean over. If it's your spouse, the easy one is, I'm thankful for you. Why is it that we start off with songs about praise and thanksgiving? Because it begins to lift up our minds and it lifts up our spirits. And it puts us to a place where we have a greater perspective. Listen, anxiety is something that just in one moment does not disappear. Sometimes God does that. And other times God gives us a place and a pattern to walk in. There are times that God will give us victory and sometimes God will make us march around something seven times over. Because many times the miracle that God's wanting to do is not the thing that you want him to do. He's trying to accomplish something within you. And that's what gratitude can do within us. I love what the psalmist says in Psalms 94 verse 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. I mean, right there, I feel, that makes me feel a little bit better that even the psalmist, the godly man, dealt with anxiety. And one of the best ways to get consolation is to sit and be thankful, to be grateful. Because when we do that, God uses the thankfulness, not just physiologically, but spiritually with our life, to come into our life and begin to give us life where we thought anxiety had stifled it all. You entertain anxiety, it will send you to the shadows. That's the only place it wants to take you to. And to me, gratitude has become a lifeline. Almost like an oxygen mask that helps me to breathe deep into my soul and to simply say, thank you. Thank you. Are you feeling anxiety this morning? I want you to come to the place where you recognize that you don't have to be a casualty of your anxiety. Pastor, you don't know what I'm worrying about. You know what, I don't know what you're worrying about. You don't know what I worry about. One thing that I do know is that we don't have to become a casualty to the, to the anxiety, but in everything, in everything, in everything, in everything, in your wayward child, in everything, in the diagnosis, in everything, in the financial situations, in everything, in the marriage that's being fractured, in everything, in, in the midst of the depression, in everything, when you have suicidal thoughts, in everything, that in everything, instead of being victimized, we can actually go on the offensive and begin to utilize gratitude as a weapon to begin to fight back the thing that wants to drown you. I remember when I was playing football, we had our defensive coach, because I was on defense, I was, I was a corner, and I remember him saying, listen, if we shut out the other team, we don't lose. And one guy's like, but what if we tie 0-0? Zero, zero? He goes, we didn't lose. And some of us are content with just not losing. And as a Christian, we just can't be just simply defensive, defensive, defensive. It's time to go on the offensive and just start feel, filling our brains, our mouths with gratitude. Some of the best things you could do for people that, that are going through anxiety is, is don't just toss them a thought and a prayer. Get around them. Ask them what their three are. And if they can't come up with three, sit with them. Listen to them. And you know what? Give three over their lives. Have you ever given somebody three things that you thank them for? 
they think for them or of them or about them. Would you do that to somebody? Lift up their spirits. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for the way that you breathe into my life. I thank you for the wisdom that you've given me, for the example that you've put before me, for the way that you talk to me, the way that you've given into my life, the way that you bless other people. I'm thankful that, I think of Jesse, that you don't raise your voice all that often. We are talking about that before service. I'm thankful for the text you send me randomly. I'm thankful for the post that you put on Facebook. We can't always thank people for that, can we? But imagine what we can do, not just as an individual, but as a community, when we begin to look at people and begin to say, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. And here's why. Here's what you do. And you never know in that moment that becomes the oxygen mask to somebody's dark moment where they fell in their anxiety. Is there any hope for my life? And right there, you start breathing hope back into them. So this morning, we're going to do this. Prayer team, I didn't plan this whatsoever. Prayer team, could you just get up and just come forward? I, lo I love when everyone waits for the first person to move. Prayer team, would just come up and stretch across the front here. Pastor Olivia and Sam are just going to sing a song called Gratitude. And this morning, if you are dealing with, maybe it's low-level anxiety, or maybe it's high anxiety, and I recognize asking you to come forward for prayer might cause you anxiety. But we could be prey to what it tells us, and the lies that it whispers, and the stories that it wants to tell, but let's switch what's going on and begin to reframe our anxiety with thanksgiving. And prayer team, what I want you to do is pray prayers of thanksgiving. Thankful for, for healing. Lord, we're thankful for hope. We're thankful for salvation. So if you're here today and you need prayer because you're dealing with anxiety, maybe your marriage is dealing with it, grab your spouse by the hand and say, bro, we're going up here. But if you need prayer, Pastor Olivia, would you just start singing? And if you're dealing with anxiety today, this might be for one person and might be for 20. But if you're dealing with anxiety, would you just get up right now and just come forward?